tonight, and they're not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to pay attention, okay? Esther chapter number 3, verse 1, the Bible says, After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants which were in the king's gate said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him and hearkened not unto them, they told, then they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And we'll stop there and we'll pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be in a warm building tonight. Uh, Lord, I know we take those kind of things for granted a lot, but we are thankful that you've provided us this wonderful place, beautiful building, comfortable chairs to come and sit in. And thank you for our people that you've brought in safely tonight and a little bit of bad weather. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And Lord, I trust in it tonight. Don't trust in myself whatsoever, but trust in you uh, to do your will in the service tonight. And just pray that, Lord, you would accomplish, Lord, what you desire through this message. Give us grace. Give us liberty. Help us respond, Lord, in this new year, each and every time you speak to us, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been thinking the last couple of days as we prepared for the services today that if, if there ever was a season that we would call a season of commitment, it would probably be about right now, wouldn't it? Uh, this is the time of year that we make what we affectionately call New Year's resolutions, and basically what they are is commitments to what we'd like to do better. The new year is exactly that. It's a new opportunity, a clean slate for us to go and try to do things better in this new year than we did uh, in the previous year, and I hope you do well uh, with your New Year's resolutions. I know that keeping them is difficult, isn't it? It's easy to make them, uh, but it's hard to keep them, whether it be trying to lose weight. That's what we usually try to do. Uh, maybe you're going to read more books this year. Maybe you're going to exercise a little more this year. Or whatever your resolution is, I, I hope you make it. I told my daughter the other day, I said, I try not to make resolutions. I just try to make decisions uh, that I'm going to decide to do these things. And this year, I decided to do a lot of things different, so much so I had to make a list to make sure I was keeping up uh, with all of my resolutions and my lists. But oftentimes, if you're anything like me, uh, I seek to grow more in the new year. I desire to be able to reach a little higher spiritually by the end of the year than I was last year to show that I'm growing uh, in the Lord, not only growing in my walk with him, but in my obedience to him, fulfilling his will more in my life. And oftentimes I have a lot of spiritual decisions or commitments that I make early on this time of the year. And uh, the spiritual ones oftentimes end up being just as hard to keep as the physical ones, don't they? Uh, I mean, I decided this year I'm going to cut back on, uh, on some of my sodas and start drinking water a little more. Sodas, that's kind of a northern term, isn't it? I've been hanging around some northerners, I guess, the last little while. Uh, but I decided to drink some water, and there I was yesterday having lunch with my wife's family. The lady came over to the table at the restaurant we were eating at. She says, what would you like to drink? 
And the conflict was already there. I thought, man, it was only, look, it's January the 1st yesterday, and I was thinking, surely I would have a little bit more courage, but I, I even began to shudder just a little bit. And so I went with water with lemon. You know, at least it has some flavor in it, knock out that city pipe taste a little bit. Uh, but keeping those commitments is hard. And I hope you do lose weight, and I do hope you read more books, and I hope that you save more money, and I hope that whatever it is that you've resolved to do, you do. Uh, but in the end, those physical, temporal commitments that we are making, those resolutions that we're making, uh, they are just that. They're temporal, and uh, when we leave this life, most of that will be left behind. But it's the spiritual ones that we've really got to focus in on. And those are the ones we're going to find a lot of resistance in keeping. And yet tonight, we're going to look at the life of Mordecai, just a little bit in the life of Mordecai. We know him and how God was going to use him. We know the famous verse over in chapter 4, if you flip over, verse number 14. Uh, we see the very famous line that's uh, often even quoted in the secular world, uh, where he's telling Esther, for such a time as this, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. <clears throat> so we know God's going to use Mordecai. We know God's going to use him to encourage Esther to do what God's called her to do. And we know that Esther is going to be used by God to deliver the Jews. So there's thousands of people whose lives are going to hang in the balance. And yet she's going to have to be motivated a little bit. I don't know if you're like me, but I have to be motivated a little bit from time to time. Encourage and thank God for a wonderful wife that is good about helping me stay motivated and encouraged, but sometimes spiritually it's tough to be motivated and encouraged, and the Lord sends people into our life to help us do that. That would be Mordecai, all right? Now, even though Esther's the one who's going into the king, God's going to use Mordecai, but we're going to see here tonight in chapter number three that in order for Mordecai to be used by God, Mordecai is going to have to stay committed to God. Okay, if you can't stay committed to God and resolve to God, as we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. If you can't stay committed in that, then don't expect for God to use you uh, to see his will uh, come to pass in your life and the lives of others. So I don't know about you. I'd love to be a Mordecai. You know, everybody wants to be the, the all-star, the number one, the Esther. Man, I want to be used to be Esther, to go in there and tell the king that, you know, you've got to save my people and all of this. But, you know, I don't mind being a Mordecai. That God could use my life to encourage someone else to do the will of God, but that requires a commitment. So tonight, uh, we're going to look at four things right quick on staying the course of commitment. I want to help us tonight a little bit as we do look forward at what we believe God would have us to do. And uh, I hope next week after Vision Sunday, the Lord has stirred your heart even more about as we look at the specific theme for our year, how God would use you in that. And I hope God begins to stir your heart of how you could be used to help bring that theme to pass. But I'll assure you of one thing, regardless of how talented you are, or how smart you are, how many years you've been in church, all of that goes out the window if you're not committed, all right? If we're going to see the will of God fulfilled at Central Baptist Church in 2022, we're going to have to be committed, and we've got to learn how to stay the course of commitment, and Mordecai is going to show us how to do that tonight. So look at verse 1, if you could. Here's Haman. We know him as the bad guy. He's the villain in this whole story, but like any good story, he gets his in the end, amen? 
Verse 1, after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Man, I wasn't going to read those names twice because I just knew I was going to get them wrong. And advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. So he's been exalted to this public position uh, that the king has ordered they bow down to. Now, we'll explain this here in just a minute, but this bowing down to Haman was not just in a political sense. This crossed the line of worship, if you will, and adoration. Verse 2, the Bible says that all the servants that were in the king's house bowed and reverenced Haman for the king so commanded concerning him. But watch this. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. I want you to notice here the masses have a new object of worship, okay? It's not just reverencing him, Naaman or uh, Mordecai would have reverenced him. It has crossed the line to where they are bowing to him and they are giving him worship. Now, Mordecai has a problem with that. Mordecai understands there's only one object of worship, and that's his God. He knows better than that. And so even though the masses are falling down and they are worshiping Haman or giving that adoration that's reserved to God to Haman, Mordecai, as I said, says, I can't do that. He's going to remain committed to God. Now, watch this first thing tonight that you're going to have to do in order to stay the course of commitment. Number one, he refused what was accepted. He refused what was accepted. Now hear me out tonight. At some point, the most basic form of commitment is you saying no to other things, okay? The most basic form of commitment is when you say no to something that rivals what you know you should be committed to, all right? Remember back in the 80s was that Nancy Reagan had uh, the, uh, uh, the program against drugs, just say no to drugs? You know, at some point, it does just boil down to us saying no to something that is presented to take the place of what we know is better. We've got to learn to say no. Now, here's, here's Mordecai. The Bible says in verse number two, Mordecai bowed not. At some point, our commitment to God is going to boil down to you learning how to say no to the alternatives that the devil places in God's place, all right? That's what it's going to boil down to. There is no secret sauce. There is no spiritual silver boil, bullet. At some point, you've just got to learn to say no. Now, that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I think about my wife. I was, I was thinking about it in a, in a joking manner this afternoon that uh, we've been married almost 17 years. Yesterday was her birthday, and I was scrolling through my pictures to put a post up for her birthday, uh, wishing her a happy birthday, and I didn't get all of permission for all of the photos that I posted, so throw that disclaimer out there. She didn't sign off on all of those, especially the one with her tongue out. That's why I made it the last one on the list, so now you can go back and look and see it if you didn't scroll down that far. But I was thinking about my wife and all the places we've been and all the things we've got to do together and how God has uh, allowed us to serve together in ministry and planting the church in Louisiana, and we lived in our camper, and we moved around a little bit, and, and now we're here. And boy, all the things that have happened since we got married. And do you know where all of that began? It began in July of 2004, when me as the camp director became interested in this young lady who came to work at our camp. But I wasn't sure if she was interested in me. And I thought the right thing to do, look, if you're a real man, you're going to go talk to the girl's dad. You're not just going to ask the girl. You're going to go ask her dad first, right, dads? 
You're going to, amen, good, nine. I thought you were going to be an easy slam dunk, amen there. I didn't know that we were that scared of our children, all right? So I thought I was going to go ask her dad first. But before I asked her dad, I had to find out, you know, are you interested? And so you know the story. I took her down to feed the fish, and we're feeding the fish by the pond. And I said, hey, I'd like to get to know you better. I said, but I'm going to go talk to your dad. But before I talk to your dad, do you think that would be a good idea? She says, I think that'd be a good idea. And I think about all of our life that has transpired in 17 years, all because she gave me the time of day that day on the bridge. I don't know what I would have done if she'd have said no. But she said yes. And once she said yes, it was over from there, man. Uh, I flipped the switch, and uh, she thought I was the most romantic guy in the world, you know, flowers and, and gifts and all these good things. And all of that happened because she gave me the time of the day. Now, can I tell you tonight, your commitment to God is only as good as you learning to say no to something else that seeks to t- take the place of God in your life. You've got to learn to say no. So here comes Mordecai, and everybody's falling down. Can you imagine how he felt? Here's Mordecai, and here comes Haman, and oh, he was a cocky guy. You read about him in your Bible. He was a cocky guy. And here he comes riding through. I'm sure his nose was pointed and high in the air. as He, he probably would have drowned if it started raining. And that nose is pointed up there, and all of a sudden, everybody starts falling down. Everybody has accepted the fact that we're going to bow down to Haman. And yet here comes Mordecai. He's all by himself standing there. Now what's at stake here? What's at stake? Well, there's a commitment at stake that if God's going to use Haman in chapter number four, Haman's got to stay committed in chapter number one. And sometimes the hardest part of staying committed is refusing what everybody else accepts. That's not just something that deals with our teenagers. Moms and dads, we have to deal with that as well. And oftentimes we fail because we accept a substitute for what we know is right. You think about it tonight. The children of Israel thought they would substitute a golden calf for God. How did that work out? Didn't work out too well. You think about Judas. He thought he would substitute a bag of silver for the very son of God. Didn't work out for Judas very well. But look at those people that were successful. We have Daniel and the three Hebrew boys who they were given a substitute to worship. And they says, no, we refuse to worship what everybody else accepts. Seems like it turned out all right for those boys. Why? They refused. I think about Joseph. I love the testimony of Joseph. One of the first books I read when I was a teenager all the way through, not just skim through the pages, was on Joseph, a man of character. And you read about how Potiphar's wife kept throwing herself at Joseph, and Joseph kept refusing, 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 and Joseph would go on to be used of God because he maintained his commitment because he refused what everybody else accepted. Now, folks, we got to get this tonight. Uh, we're going to look, we're looking forward to the year and we're excited about what we want to do and we're looking forward to who we could become through the power of God in our life, and all of that's great, but all of that goes out the window if you can't stay committed. You've got to learn to refuse what everybody else accepts. That's why God used Moses, Hebrews chapter 11. You know it well. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses had a decision to make. Am I going to be committed? 
In order for him to stay committed to God, he had to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Can I tell you, I think we'd all be surprised at how many of us would give in to the temptation to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Because a lot comes with that. And yet Moses refused to accept it. Therefore, he was able to be used of God to lead three million people out of captivity. Now, here's what I wonder tonight. What is God desiring to do with you and I individually and then collectively as a church in this new year if we just maintain our commitment? But God cannot use us to further his will and his work if we can't refuse what the world accepts. Number one, Mordecai, and the Bible says he refused to bow down. And I'll tell you, one of the hardest things for us to do is to refuse what's widely accepted. It's hard. Look, teenagers, listen to me. I I know it's easy to preach against you guys and at you guys. You know I love you. I hope you know I love you. Uh, It's just as hard for us adults to refuse what's widely accepted as the teenagers. We feel peer pressure too. We just can't afford to keep up with it. That's all the problem is. We can't afford to look stylish and our, our bones are too weak to learn the newest dance or else we'd probably be out there trying to do it too. I don't want to see any of you older folks out there on TikTok, okay? That would be scary. It's hard. It's hard to refuse what everybody else is accepting. The other night we went to a concert in New Orleans, a Christmas concert. They're at the Sanger Theater in New Orleans. And we had seats about on the fifth, sixth row. And I thought they were decent seats. They were okay seats, but they could have been better. And uh, this gentleman sat in front of us. Uh, I think he had a little too much cough syrup before he left the house and was very talkative. And he's sitting there, and I try to be nice, and I try to be cordial. And, and then he got up and evidently had some leg problems because he was stumbling a little bit as he headed back to get some more cough syrup. And uh, then he came back. He was really feeling good. Evidently, it was some good cough syrup when he came back. And I'm thinking, good grief. You can't even go to a Christmas concert without sitting beside somebody that was sauced. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, somebody comes and sits in front of him. All right, he only paid for one seat, but he got mad when somebody came and sat in front of him. I'm like, man, pay for the seat in front of you if you don't like that, okay? But that's the way things work here. And so, man, he starts getting mad. And he starts cussing at the guy. You get up and you move around and all of this and just cuss word after cuss word after cuss word. And then he does exactly what I expected him to do. He turns around. He says, ain't that right? (laughs) Trying to drag me into it. I said, no, sir. And I said, I appreciate it if you cut out the profanity. All of a sudden, he looks up at me. He goes, well, I'll quit cussing, but I'm still going to be mad. I said, oh, that's okay. You can do that. I get mad too, but cut out the cussing. But do you know when he turned around and looked at me and says, ain't that right? There was something inside of me that wanted to agree with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see, that's in all of us. It's hard to refuse what's accepted. And man, that guy, the, the rest of the time, he just kind of trunched down in his chair. His wife kept him, shut up, Mark. Shut up, Mark. I went up to the usher. This has nothing to do with the story, but I'll tell you the rest of the story. Paul Harvey did, and it worked for him. I went up to the head usher, and I said, hey, there's a man over here that, he goes, inebriated? I said, yeah. He goes, why don't you move up here on the front row? And so I moved. We got better seats because of it. But I had to be willing to refuse what was accepted. That's unacceptable talking like that around me and my family and my daughter, that's unacceptable. Sooner or later, you're going to have to speak up like Mordecai did. You want God to use you? Sooner or later, you got to open your mouth and say, no, 
No, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel said, no, we're not going to bow down. Now, folks, if you're going to fulfill the will of God this year, you've got to learn how to be committed. And that begins with refusing what's accepted. Then notice the second thing. Look down at verse 3. The Bible says he bowed down not. Then, there's always going to be a thin. The king's servants, which were in the king's gates, said unto Mordecai, why transgresseth thou the king's commandment? So Mordecai makes a stand, a bold stand. I'm not going to bow. He's resisting and refusing what's been accepted. And then notice what comes his way. Number two, he was ridiculed for where he stood. Can I tell you, if you refuse what's accepted, prepare to be ridiculed. Prepare to be ridiculed for where you stand. Something that's always amazed me, even as a teenager. I wasn't a perfect teenager by no stretch of the imagination. But I tried to do what was right. I tried to stay committed to the Lord. I tried to seek him first in my life most of the time. I tried to have stands in my life, places I wouldn't go, things I wouldn't do. You know, I wasn't going to go out and test drive every car on the lot. When it came to picking a mate, I was going to let God do that. I said, God, I believe you could bring her to me when you're ready. And so, you know what? Oh, I was just ridiculed. It was amazing how my stands bothered people. I've never understood that. The stands that I take, deciding to try to live a separate life, trying to live a clean life, trying to do right, trying to raise my child right and build my home right, it just blows my mind how my stands just get under the skin of people that have nothing to do with the stands that I have. That always ought to be a good sign to you. When you're resisting what's accepted, you're going to get ridiculed for where you stand. Now, this is important. You better prepare for this. Ridicule is one of Satan's greatest tools of compliance. Ridicule is one of Satan's greatest tools of compliance. What does that mean? Well, when you don't comply with what's accepted and go along with what's accepted, and you want to remain committed to God so that God uses you in your chapter number four to help motivate someone else in their faith, when you don't do that, he sends the posse after you to ridicule you for the stand that you take. Watch what they say in verse number three. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, why? Why? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you acting that way? Here comes the ridicule. And what he's trying to do is blackmail Mordecai into not being committed. Now, folks, I think we can all relate tonight. This is something we've all felt at least one time in our life. But ridicule is one of the greatest tools of compliance. Where do you think the government got it from? Yeah, you'll, you'll figure that one out later. First Peter chapter 4. Verse 12, the Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Listen to this. If ye be reproached, that's ridiculed, for the name of Christ, happier ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. What an awesome thought that I could be ridiculed or persecuted and that God could be glorified through that. Look, each and every one of us tonight, I think all of us hope that in some way we could glorify God with our life. Glorify means to bend back or reflect. All right, that something in our life would reflect upon God. Look, a little ridicule would be worth it to me. If I had the opportunity to glorify God by taking a little ridicule for staying committed to him, hey, worth it all day long. But you know what happens? 
that ridicule slowly but surely makes us weary and tries to wear us down. What ridicule will do is help you find out if your profession is just that, if it's a profession or if it's a priority. One thing I appreciate about our fans, Brother Richard, tonight in the Dan Marino shirt, I have to tell you a funny story about that. He came back to my office to get me wired earlier, and I said, who you got on your jersey? He says, Dan Marino. He said, I'm working the booth tonight, so I thought I could wear it, you know, because nobody sees me, and then Brother Nate makes him stand up. <laughs> Brother Richard says he appreciates that, Brother Nate, all the same. Can I tell you one thing I appreciate about people who are not bandwagon people? They just stick with their team. Win, lose, senior citizen, doesn't matter. Still pulls for them. Something wrong tonight. We have too many bandwagon believers. They hop on when it's a popular fad. Oh, man, all these movements. Beware of movements, by the way. Movements come and go. Fads come and go. Look, but Jesus is always the same. Just stick with him. Stay away from fads. Stay away from movements. Be careful with the movies and all the books out there, okay? I don't mind a good book every once in a while, but don't get your doctrine from it. This is the only book you should get your doctrine from, okay? Be careful watching a lot of these movies and start thinking, well, that's exactly how it's going to happen. No, that's just what somebody came up with, okay? Total side note to all of that. But hear me out. Why don't you decide you're going to stay committed Regardless of the ridicule, hey, you're going to stay on the same team. You're going to pull for the same guy. That's going to be your team that you're on. I'm going to stay committed not only to the will and the word of God. I'm going to stay committed to my church. I don't care how ridiculed I get. You know, every once in a while we get called some weird names. That's all right. I don't mind getting called weird names by a weird world. That probably means we're okay. Folks, understand tonight, you've got to stay the course of commitment. How do you do that? Understand you're going to be ridiculed for where you stand. Turn back to your left, just one book, if you will. Turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. I love Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite books. I preached my first revival out of it as a teenager. Nehemiah, chapter 4. What is Nehemiah doing? He's rebuilding a wall, doing what God called him to do. Very unpopular decision for some. Watch verse 1 of Nehemiah 4. But it came to pass that when, when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall. By the way, Sanballat's a bad guy. When Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. What is he doing? He's ridiculing them. Verse 2, and he spake before his brethren, the army of Syria, and said, What do these feeble Jews Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Now, keep on reading. Verse number, go on down to verse number um, 6. Watch Nehemiah's reaction to this. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together, and to the half thereof for the people had a mind to work. Notice what Nehemiah's response to ridicule was. So we built the wall. They just stayed committed. They heard what everybody was saying about them. They heard how people said, you know, the, the wall's going to fall down. Even a fox will crawl up on it. It's going to fall down. And yet they says, so we built the wall. You know what that is? It's commitment. It's commitment. And God used Nehemiah to rebuild this wall, to lead the effort to rebuild this massive wall. You know the story. 52 days. Oh, what a feat that God did through these people. But it began with a commitment. If Nehemiah said, oh, dear me, I'm so sorry that we offended you for doing what God said to do. We're going to stop here. Nehemiah would have never been written about in the word of God. 
And yet God used him because he remained committed in spite of the ridicule that came his way. Something interesting I found in in study, I don't know that I've ever thought of this before. The word ridicule has the same root as the word ridiculous. It's the same root. I don't know if that's a common knowledge, but it wasn't to me. The word ridicule and the word ridiculous have the same root to them, meaning outlandish, a fairy tale, something that's not going to come to pass. And so I was looking up some things this afternoon that the world at one time called ridiculous. At one time, they called the Wright brothers' expedition to fly ridiculous. At one time, they called Alexander Graham Bell's attempt to build a phone where you could talk miles away ridiculous. I love this one. Ladies, listen close to this one. You'll like this one. In a 1966 Time Magazine article entitled The Futurist, they were looking forward to the year 2000. In the magazine, the article claimed that remote shopping, while entirely feasible, will flop. It's ridiculous. Because women like to get out of the house, like to handle merchandise, like to be able to change their mind. Evidently, in the crystal ball of the world that day, they had never heard of Amazon. Remote shopping... I bet they never thought it'd be food and meals delivered right there to your door. Can I tell you something? Newsflash, the world's been wrong a few times. Be careful living by what the world calls ridiculous. We fly on planes. They call that ridiculous. We talk on phones. We carry phones in our pockets. There was once a time where they said the personal computer would be light years away because the first personal computer took up an entire city block. They said, there's no way the masses will ever be able to have one of these in their home. Not only do I have one in my home, I have one in my pocket. They call that ridiculous. And yet, watch this. These are the same people that we get our guidance and judgment from. Oh, the world says that's ridiculous, so you know what? Living for God must be ridiculous. Oh, the world says living right and staying pure, that's ridiculous, so it must be ridiculous. The world's been wrong too many times for me to trust their judgment. The word of God is always true. Thy word is truth. Why don't we just stick with that tonight? Endure the ridicule for the stands that you take. Mordecai did. Turn back to Esther. Let's read it again. It says, verse 3, the king's servants which were in the king's gate said unto Mordecai, why transgressest thou the king's commandment? So they come to him. They're ridiculing him for the stand that he takes. One of my favorite verses that I share with my daughter often is Ecclesiastes 7.18. Ecclesiastes 7.18, listen close. The Bible says, it is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. He that feareth God shall come forth of them all. There's a time in each and every one of our lives, I remember it particularly as a teenager. There's a time in all of our lives, especially when we're young, that we feel like the world's passing us by. And we feel like we're lagging behind. And we're not out there on the front lines and the cutting edge of fads and fashions of the world. And it makes you feel a little bit bad, doesn't it? That you feel like you're lagging back. You're not up there on the front lines of everything. But there's a promise in Ecclesiastes 7.18, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. What does that mean? Stay committed. 
He that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Right now, you may feel like you're being lapped by everybody else. Hey, just keep fearing God. Stay in your lane. Stay committed. Just stay the course. Stay on the road. You have a promise from the word of God. You shall come forth of them all. Why? Because God's word is truth. God's word is not ridiculous. It's true. So number two, notice he was ridiculed for where he stood. And then things were about to get stepped up a little bit. And I'm going to hurry The Bible says in verse 4, now it came to pass when they spake what? Daily unto him. They spake daily unto him. So here's what happened. He refused to accept what was accepted. He refused it. He says, I I refuse to accept that. And then we see him ridiculed for where he stood, but the devil didn't give up that easy. Satan's not going to give up that easy as we go into this new year. We've got to remain committed. Notice number three, he was resisted for remaining faithful. The Bible says they came daily. There's probably not a week goes by that uh, a, a wise crack doesn't come my way for something I believe, something I've said, something I've preached. And that's okay. You know, part of the job is, uh, is to be a, a target from time to time. And, and that doesn't bother you. Uh, but boy, when you have a sustained time of ridicule, that wears us down, doesn't it? It'll wear us down after a while. That's what the Bible tells us three times or twice in Scripture, Galatians 6, 9 and 2 Thessalonians 3. Be not weary in well-doing. You see, if Satan can't get you with that knockout blow, he's going to try to wear you down through resistance, constant resistance for the stand that you're taking. Prime example, I was thinking about him this afternoon, is Samson in Judges 16. The mighty man Samson, the Bible says it came to pass in verse 16 when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. You know who we're talking about? Samson. Samson. You know the stories, the accounts, the facts, the guy who stole the gates of his enemies? caught all those foxes, tied their tails together. I mean, classic. And yet here he is, vexed unto death. What are they doing? Are they waterboarding him? Are they torturing him? What are they doing to him? It's what we know as the daily press, wearing him down, trying to break his commitment. And she got him. She got him. Can I encourage you something tonight? When you refuse what's accepted, you're going to be ridiculed for where you stand. And then if they don't get you on the ridicule, here comes the resistance for remaining faithful. Be careful, by the way, of the company you keep. If they are those that are wearing down your commitment to what God has called you to do. You know, we, we, we use the word too flippantly in our world today, friend friend. You know, we have all these friends on Facebook. My wife, I was so ashamed the other day. She said, uh, hey, who is that guy that liked your post? I said, I don't know. It's just a friend on Facebook. Think about those words. I don't know who he is. He's just a friend on Facebook. A friend is not someone who's going to discourage you from your commitment to God. They're going to encourage you in your commitment to God. That's why Proverbs 19, 27, it says, cease my son to hear the instruction that causeth thee to err from the words of knowledge. Quit listening to it. 
You better get away from any influence that wears down your resolve to stay committed to the cause of Christ because if they break your resolve to your commitment, you'll never have your chapter four where God uses you to be a blessing to other people. Number three, he was resisted for remaining faithful. And then finally, I want to end on a high note, okay? If you look down to verse number four, the Bible says, now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them. Oh, man, what a testimony. He hearkened not. That they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. Now, notice that last line. This is, this is a terminology we don't use in our normal vernacular. They told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. Now, what you're seeing here is the goal of resistance. Satan is going to resist and resist, and he's going to ridicule. But notice the Bible says they're trying to find out if his matters would stand. Do you know what that word matters means? Resolve. Resolve. Number four tonight, the way that we stay the course of commitment. Notice Mordecai, he was resolved to what was right. He was resolved to what was right. Now, here's what's amazing. That word matters is not one we use a lot in that term to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, but that word matters means resolve. And I thought to myself, isn't it amazing that our resolve shows what matters? Think about it. They kept resisting him and ridiculing him and pressuring him and trying to break his commitment, and they kept doing it. Why? To see whether Mordecai's matters or his resolve would stand. Do you know what that tells us? The things that we stay resolved to matter. The things that we stay committed to matter. I've mentioned this a lot of times lately. Been busy the last couple of years. Haven't got to fire the first bullet at anything, and I love to hunt, but I haven't been able to go, just kind of been busy, a lot going on. I didn't have to be committed to that. Why? It doesn't matter that much. But even though we've had a busy couple of years, I've stayed committed to my wife. Do you know why? Because she matters. She matters. You see, your commitment and your resolve is going to show the Lord what really matters in your life. We can say, boy, let me tell you, God first, God in our country first. And we can say all of that, but our resolve really shows what matters. That's why the devil tries to break our commitment through ridicule and through resistance. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how quickly they answered, we are not careful to answer thee. We are not careful. You know what that's called? Resolve. Do you know what that means? It mattered. Now, folks, right now we have a lot of resolve, or at least we think we do. We just made commitments yesterday, all right? They're fresh out of the oven, and I hope you haven't broken them yet, okay? And we've made them now. But can I tell you, the longer that you stand for what is right, and the longer you refuse what's accepted, here comes the ridicule then the resistance, and you better have a resolve. You better have a resolve. And so now's the time where we make the commitment to what really matters. How do we stay the course of commitment? We refuse what's accepted. Understand ridicule and resistance are coming our way, but we keep our resolve. Now, why? What's the whole point? Remember who we're talking about. We're talking about Mordecai, the guy who would go up to Esther and say, 
who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What a tool. I don't know about you. I want to be a tool in 2022. I want to be used by God. Hey, I don't have to be the guy. Hey, I don't mind being the guy that encourages another guy. Hey, I want to be the Mordecai that encourages the Esther. I wonder how many Esthers and Josephs we have sitting in our church tonight and our young people. Would it be a blessing if God used us to encourage one of them to stay committed to God and to stay resolved to God? That way they could go on and help bring about revival in America. Hey, I'd be okay with that. But God can't use you if you're not committed. We've got to be committed to his will, his work, and his word And if we'll stay committed to it, I assure you God's going to use us. And as I said in Ecclesiastes, we shall come forth of them all. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's have some invitation time.